what Brooklyn sounds like. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I give a shit. How are you guys doing today? You know, I don't know. You know what? I'm going to Mexico City next week. I am so excited. And I'm going to some art fairs just for fun. Just for fun. I got a press pass so I can like sneak in. Are you listening, you people in Mexico? I'm going to just sneak in and maybe I'll report. Maybe I won't. I don't know. So next week we're going to, it'll be a surprise. I think we're, I'm trying to get a somebody to fill in. Uh, so it'll be great. It'll be a great show. And this is going to be a, a, a fucking amazing show because I have Eric Drysdale right here with me. And Eric is a writer, comedian, and 3D uh, photography. Th- We're going to talk about his, ex- his extremely successful and uh, his transition his transition period in as a comedy writer. But before we do that, let's talk about drive to five because this is really, this is really what's happening here. We have this amazing drive to five. Uh, it's a campaign, like a program. And if you go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate, like right now we have all this stuff going on and you can like donate money and get like one of our amazing t-shirts. Have you heard of Cosmo Vinyl? He used to be the uh, manager for The Clash. So you get a t-shirt by him. I heard they're selling out. It's great. So go there and help us out because uh, we just have, we, we, we need money. We need money in order to keep doing this. Okay. So hello, Eric. Hi, Lisa. You know, I Dr. wanted Dr. 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 Lisa. Lisa. I wanted to give you a little bit of a longer introduction, okay. so people really know who's here. Okay, who's here in the studio? I'll so, be over here. <laughs> so anyway, the thing is, guys, Eric is a really like a really storied or whatever you call it, a venerable and acclaimed. Uh, TV writer and comedian. He's contributed, and Eric's like looking at me like, is she going to get this right? What is she going to say? This is all like, I'm I'm not making this up. I found this on, I found this on your site. Eric has contributed to over 1500 hours of late night television as a staff writer for the daily show, John Stewart, the Colbert report, the late show with Stephen Colbert. So he got rehired there. Uh, and full frontal with Samantha B. And there's all these like it's the 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 this brief kind of resume thing starts around 2000 and goes to 2019, right? And most recently, you were on, uh, you were writing for S- Samantha B. And, and yeah. you've decided to 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 take a leave from there. And we will be discuss right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm really interested in hearing about that. Uh, um. So, and um, Eric is also like really big in the stereo, uh, what do you call it? Stereo photography. Stereo photography. And he has a, I don't know, almost a regular show at uh, the City Reliquary. And you should go see it because it's really, these, these stereo, these stereo 3D things are awesome. And Eric gets... Uh, amateur stuff and it's all like 
it's freaky, man. It's freaky, <laughs> and it's entertaining, and it's a great thing for groups. Did you do a group with Oliver Sacks people? Did I see that? Uh, from, yes, a group of people from the Oliver Sacks Foundation. A friend of mine, Dempsey Rice, is uh, producing a uh, hybrid animated live-action documentary uh, about Oliver Sacks, and uh, some people from uh, his foundation, including his archivist, were... Uh, are involved in it and we did a fundraiser for them and did a couple oh, of shows Oh, it's a fundraiser good yeah. idea did you hear that tom tenney there's a fundraising opportunity in here <laughs> okay so anyway uh his next show there is at march 5th you can go to city reliquary.com look it up dot I'm org, not gonna, I think. dot org i'm not spelling it out okay and then or you can go to e drysdale d-r-y-s-d-a-l-e dot com okay so oh and i also wanted to say in case you had any doubts on eric's achievements he's been nominated for 21 emmys (laughs) and he had 10 wins Mm -hmm. there (laughs) and i deserve i deserve two (laughs) ah so self so so modest so modest okay so um so anyway, so overall, how has your comedy writing career been? Is it exciting? Is it like, um, is it like it's, we, we normal people or somewhat normal people think that it's just a pinch me. I can't believe this is happening every moment of every day. So tell us what it's like. It's definitely a lot of that, but it's also an enormous, enormous amount of pressure and work. Uh huh. And what what's it what's it feel it, like? If, if it weren't if it weren't for that feeling, like I can't believe I get to do this, it wouldn't be worth it. Hmm. <laughs> and so, what what is it really like? Like, there's pressure. So, give us an example of. Oh, how you're that just feels. you're under a very very tight deadline. Um, you sometimes have to do things on a tight deadline that you you know weren't wasn't your idea or you don't think is the best idea for for this particular piece. And you've just got to swallow everything and go and hit the keyboard. And mm-hmm. uh, when you're done, something else will, you know, so, some the phone will ring and they'll need something else and they'll need something else. And especially on the daily shows like the like the Daily Show and the Colbert mm-hmm. Report, uh, it, it was absolutely um, nonstop. So do you get the feeling like... Um I mean, I'm projecting a lot here, counter-transference. So I would be, if it was me, I would be like worrying that I wasn't good enough or that this show was sucky or that show. Do you think like that? Or is it just like you get so in the routine you don't judge yourself every day? I mean, I, w- I have been very fortunate. I was able to do that job for a long time. I did that job in various ways for almost 20 years. Um, definitely, you know, I've, there's this saying that people have that it takes two years to learn a job. I felt like it maybe took me three or four mm-hmm. till till that panic, and it's never really gone. But where it was manageable, and I knew that if I if I if I failed one day, the next day I had a chance to do better. Um, it it just it took away a, a little while for that anxiety to go away. Right. Um, but you're not living with it every. You're you you're like I know this job. People look at you and they're like, "Well, Eric, you know he's going to get the job done." And, and also, you're, you're you're consistent, and you're always up up against a deadline. So you're only thinking about what's happening an hour from now mm-hmm. when you have to turn this mm-hmm. damn thing in, uh, right. rather than the big picture, which so, is which is something that was both stressful about the job, but also that I really like about that kind mm-hmm. of work. 
So how long is an average assignment? Is it like a four-hour assignment or is it like They can hour? be, you know, uh, you know, on the Daily Show and the Colbert Report and uh, even on the Late Show, um, you know, those, you know, the things like monologue jokes or things that go into a headline on one of the more newsy-based shows. Um, yeah, you'd have, you'd, you'd have three or four hours to put it together after, you know, a meeting that could last an hour or an hour and a half in the morning where you try to figure out what you're going to do. So you never have a project that would be long, like a whole day. No, you would. You, you would. you'd also, oh, you would also, bigger. you would also be working on some pieces that, that, you know, would even have a shelf life of a couple days or even mm-hmm. a couple weeks. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all of your time is filled. Like you don't, you don't get a, like you have to be working on that stuff when you're not working on the stuff that's right. for that day. It's, and but, there's always, you know, especially in the Trump era, this was happening at Sam B all the time where, you know, you'd be, you know, we gave up on writing a show through the course of the week because on Wednesday morning, Trump would say something insane oh, yeah, and you'd have right. to rewrite the whole show. Right, right, right. Oh, my God. So did was there a regular were there regular hours or were each day were there 12 hour days or did it vary a lot or were they all 12 hour days? They were pretty they were pretty long days and they actually weren't uh, that terrible. Um you know, the show t- would, has to tape at a certain time, mm-hmm. and by by that time, all of the jokes for that show have to be in that show, mm-hmm. and all the jokes for the next day show we're going to worry about tomorrow. So uh. it was actually really, or many of the jokes for the next day show we would worry about. Tomorrow. So there was a, a, real, a really nice thing about it that actually was more difficult about being on a weekly show was that you could you could just say, okay, that day's over. I, I failed. I did well. Whatever tomorrow, I get a whole new chance. Mm-hmm. So you had regular hours like what eight? Really, early. very much nine to five. Nine to five. Nine to six. Nine to seven. Sometimes nine to mm-hmm. eight if you had to stay for taping or if there was a meeting afterwards. But you know, they weren't. It wasn't this like SNL thing where you're there for two days and you'd never get to see the sun. And I can't imagine. Yeah, you know, people have done that, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah and that's hard. That, yeah, or that's it seems really like, hard. Would you ever want to work on that show? I, I have. Uh, yes, I. I would like to see what it's like uh-huh but um that passion is not there the way it was 20 years ago right right i mean um, it sounds like what you have what you've had is like actually kind of preferable in certain ways in certain ways yeah and a weekly show is that like where they make you work all night because for tomorrow because they have or like the night before the show airs or what's that like um it's a, it's about the same it's um again it it, it got worse at Sam B. One once Trump became president and everything started becoming insane all everything the time. Everything got worse everywhere. Everything got worse everywhere. Look what is look what his lawyers are going through now. They have to rewrite the whole the whole strategy <laughs> after they delivered it. Right? It's so crazy. <laughs> I know, but anyway. Um, so I wanted to um, oh politics. I wanted to ask you about politics. Okay. So uh, what 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 the fuck? Would it be like to be on staff at a place like that? Now, I'm a as a female, I'm already like counter transferring. Like, I hate these guys. They're so they're such douchebag guys. Yeah. But you being a uh, you know your guy and <laughs> how, how so how were the politics? What was that like? Do you mean do you mean like dealing with what was uh, going the on? The politics of the office, not oh, not the- not the government. Like the in, internal you know, politics, another, dealing with the other humans. You know, the, with very with very 
few and far between exceptions. Like, especially like again, like there, there's no room for error in a show that's on every day that's filled with as many jokes as those shows. So there's no, there's, there's no time for ego to get like, I like this joke better. He never picks my jokes. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a little of that that goes around, but ultimately it's like, by the time you have time to worry about it, you have to be moving on to the next thing and working on something else. So that sounds Um, positive. And for the most, and for the most part, you know, again, putting on a show every day is really hard and, uh, people work really hard and all the staffs I've worked with have been amazing. And, uh, yeah, they're politics, office politics, I guess it exists everywhere, but, um, especially in the writer's area where we've got our heads down and, Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Do yeah. you see people get fired a lot? <laughs> see, this is my countertransference and I'm neurotic. I'm like imagining this, you know. No, it's but do very, people, do writers, can you tell right away if they're going to work out? Do people not work out? Oh, people, not, there are people that don't work out. And it's usually not like, oh, my God, this person is terrible. It's like, oh, this person, like, maybe got lucky in their packet and hit the voice right. But and they're probably like there's never been anybody where I like was like that's an unfunny person. Like right. it's just the voice doesn't work and usually it's it's mutual and the person knows that they're mm-hmm. not a good fit and it's kind of a style thing. Yeah. And um briefly cuz I'm sure it's a long story. How did you get into the business? How did you wind up being a writer like that? I mean, I always wanted to be a a writer, so I came to New York and did stand up hoping that somebody would notice and eventually uh, after seven years of being here and on and off doing stand up, somebody noticed and I was invited to submit a packet to mm-hmm. The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. And then you got on right away. Yeah. What was that day like? I mean, it wasn't the first shot. It wasn't the first. Sh- I had yeah, you, applied you, to Conan yeah, several right, times. I had right. applied to other shows a, a bunch of times. Um, uh, it wasn't my first packet by any stretch. I've right. been doing it for Years. Yeah. So you were a directed person that like late night TV since you were a kid, yep. came to New York, followed your dream. Yep. And uh, here and here we are now. Here we are now. And um, at the end of my career. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're going to see about that. But uh, when when you got the job, when you got your first job, like what was that feeling like? That What happened? That must have been incredible. Uh, it was really, really scary and exciting. And um and where was it? Oh, the Daily, the Daily Show, Show. with John Stewart. With John Stewart, yeah. That's a big fucking deal. Yeah, it was. It, it it was a big fucking deal. It wasn't as big of a deal as it became later. Um, you know, I I was there. I was the second writer that was hired in the John Stewart era. Oh, okay. Um, so he'd only been there for I think nine months, mm-hmm. and so he was still kind of like uh, dealing with the remnants of the voice of Craig Kilborn's show. Oh, and, right trying to wrestle the staff into his vision of what the show was, um, which was a very interesting thing to be a part of. Oh yeah. Um, Wow. uh, So it wasn't, it wasn't like joining the daily show, like joining the daily show would have been, you know, five years later, but, um, but it was still exciting to have a, to have a, to have a comedy writing job in New York. Wow. Um, uh, it was very exciting, and I was a yeah. big fan of his stand-up at the time, and um, actually didn't know much about the show itself. I mm-hmm. just because uh, uh, I actually didn't even have a TV at that point. Um, <laughs> um, 
but uh i got one so i could watch the show uh and uh (laughs) this was the days before you could watch tv on the internet so i had to actually get a tv to write my packet oh that's hilarious yeah that's great yeah, because I could get, yeah. I could, I could, I had my Conan packets that I had done before, but I could get that on my like over the air TV. So you're, I didn't you're, have cable, right? So you're pretty, you were pretty directed about it. Like you knew what you wanted to yeah. do, you went for it, you knew, you know, you found out everything. So this is, guys, this is what I want you to know about Eric, okay? And I was telling Eric this before he came on the show is that I think Eric's a really good example for you guys because, as far as I can tell, he seems like a really like. You know, a stable guy who, like, is methodical, hardworking, knows how to be professional, and not one of those wacky, out-of-control comedians that winds up on television. Because that's never going to last if you really want to have a job, right? Am I right about that, Eric, to some well, degree? Well, you're right about the second part. The first part is not, is totally wrong. I'm a complete disaster, Really? Of a human being, yeah. I mean, what, what does that mean, or what? It, what do you mean? What do you mean I, by that? I mean, I really rely. I mean, one of the reasons that I feel like I was, I was well suited to these jobs is I really rely on the structure and panic of those things to whip me into shape. Because otherwise, I will sit around getting stoned all day. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, oh, so you like outside structure. Yes. But you're you must be internally motivated on some level. On some level. Yeah, I think you're being I think he's being a little modest, but here's the other thing guys. You know what? Like the fact that he's self-effacing about it is actually a real point in my book because mo- a lot of these people would just be like, you know, I'm, you know, of course I can I I can do it no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. Right? I I get I'm stereotyping here. So Eric's a better example than the other kind. I mean, there there was a feeling that, like, I mean, not so much as a performer. Like, I never felt super comfortable as a performer. But as a like as a writer, when I was, you know, before I had gotten the the Daily Show job and was out doing stand up and characters and things like that, I was confident in the material. Right. Like, I never uh, that I that I didn't. That I had the confidence in, in mm-hmm. myself, in my ability to kind of wake up in the morning and 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 be an adult and pay my bills and stuff like that. I had a lot less confidence in. Mm-hmm. Do you now? Did you develop it? Maybe it was just youth. Uh, I think that I I have been heavily domesticated by your wife. twenty. Yeah, twenty. <laughs> 20 is your five. wife like really? Is she good at all that? What does yes. she do again? She's a public health researcher. Oh, she so she's a really so yeah. she does she help create stability oh very much so but you like the stability or i mean i i like it once i've achieved it but it usually comes from external pressures. right right so you yourself may not be the pillar of stability but, no. but you're attracted to being in situations because that i know are, it's good for me but it's but you also feel comfortable if things around you are I'm saying like stability appeals to you on some level I mean I think that I like I yes Mm -hmm. I like being told what to do on Mm -hmm. a day-to-day basis having being in this place where I'm like I'm kind of writing for myself or writing to pitch something um it's a much more difficult situation like do whatever you want like I can't it's a much harder assignment than do this thing for me 
I can only, I'm sure it is. So let's get, so, okay. So let's get to where you are now. Let's start getting there. So your last uh, full-time job mm-hmm. was Samantha B, right? Yep. So how was that? And what, how long were you there? And how did you, you, you left? Yeah. You decided I'm done here. And well, I, yes, I was decided, I decided that I was done doing uh, political comedy in the age of Trump. And I mm-hmm. happened to be at Samantha B at the time, mm-hmm. which was a great place to be for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of as, as horrible as the situation is, uh, you know, I felt like she was in a unique place to say something about it. And I was really happy to be a part yeah. of it. Um, I just uh, and actually I had I actually had left um, I left uh, the Colbert Report actually uh, in 2007 because I was looking ahead at the 2008 election and thought that that was going to get really ugly mm-hmm. and I I had hoped that I would go off and you know uh, write a sitcom or do something else um, the writer strike happened so that never happened and I ended up going back to the Colbert Report two years later. But, um, yeah, I mean, I really do like part of the reason that I think I'm good at that job Mm -hmm. is that I, uh, I am an angry, sensitive person. And, uh, when, and when I get angry and sensitive, I get funny and, uh, but it, it's also not a great place to be all the time is to be angry and sensitive. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was always this balancing act, and I I left in 2007 to protect my mental health, and that's sort of what I did this time. Mm-hmm. And how, what did you do, like, in 2007? Did you go back, like, a year later when the election was over? or is Two that, years later. So you took two years off then? Yeah. And how was that? Um, it, did, you, did you get job offers? Like, I was did. it really I, by I did, choice? I did, it was really by choice. It was really by choice. I did, mm-hmm. I did do some small jobs mm-hmm. and then the writer strike happened mm-hmm. um which took took us mm-hmm. and then it kind of took a long time for mm-hmm. production to get back into gear so uh i was sort of at at the end of mm-hmm. uh you know my savings and had to go back and do something so luckily so ha- luckily mm-hmm. uh, there were some other transitions going on at the rapport and it was a good time for me to be back and i'm really glad i came back because mm-hmm. those last few years uh, at the show were amazing yeah yeah I'm, i can only imagine the first, but- like i think like within two weeks that I was back, I wrote something for Philip Glass. Wow. Really? Yeah. Like wow. that's the great thing about that you, show is like, you mean like a sketch or yeah, a, a sketch. And oh, like I wrote stuff amazing. and he played, he played music and wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. So you've done this before, you know, and that's a very self-protective skill or I way of identifying that. That's very impressive. See, I'm telling you guys, he's a good example. He was in touch <laughs> with what was going to make him crazy and then he he opted how to cope with it and it was very productive yeah Good job. and i am and i am grateful that i don't have to go and make what is happening today while we're talking here funny right like, and he, he also didn't have an you don't have any kids no see that's another thing guys remember yeah. that if you have kids get rid of them <laughs> Uh, okay, so Samantha B, you were there for three years. Three years, and then like what? What? How did you decide to leave? Like what was what happened? What um, happened it was the end. Head? I happened to be at the end of a cycle of um, of contracts with them, and saw that this election was coming and getting nasty, and I was not 
I was finding it harder and harder to kind of come in and uh, face the Trumpiness of it all every day. Mm -hmm. So it was just time. Were you getting depressed? Oh, yeah. And what's depression like like for you? um, I mean, is it like is it like you sit around or is it an anxiety kind? Is it an angry kind? uh, It's it's a sitting around kind. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know, you're depressed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, so so and you a lot of bedtime. Hmm. And do you also know that if you leave the job, that it's going to help you? Do you know that? Uh, or do I? You... I know. I, I think I knew that. Yes. So it's circumstantial, which is the best kind of depression, folks. <laughs> it's that chemical stuff that's so hard. Well, there's a little of that too. Well, yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, you are a comedian writer. You got to have some of that. Yeah. Uh. So did it work when you left? I mean, um, you feeling better? I'm feeling better in some ways. Again, I'm some grateful ways. for that. Uh-huh. I, you know, I am, you know, one of the things I did get used to at those jobs was like a very high level of activity, mm, both physical right. and mental. Right. And uh, that's been a difficult hole to Ooh, fill. There's a lot of alone time with Eric Drysdale, isn't yeah, it's there? Yeah, a little too much alone time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you left, was that, did everybody go like, oh my God, how can you leave? Were they, were they no, shocked? No, they understood. They, underst- yeah. they were like, oh God. But yeah, Eric, you're going to like don't off yourself right No, So they knew. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. Knew. No, I had even had some discussions with them. Like, I'm just not doing it. Like I like they yeah. knew that I wasn't doing well and I knew that I wasn't doing well and it wasn't good for anybody. See, that's a healthy uh, relationship at work where mm-hmm. you can actually have that kind of uh, Eric, put the cup in the cup holder. I will get Sorry. yelled at. Uh, not you. OK. At me. OK. <laughs> So anyway, uh, you know, that's a healthy relationship with a, a work situation where you can sort of like check in with them and there's communication. Very rare. Very, very rare, I think. Yeah. I mean, I have also have a terrible poker face. I'm not a I, I don't like if mm-hmm. something's bothering me, you're going to be able to tell. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is it is it was it was it like literally like the Trump experience that got to you? Or? Yeah, very much so. So it was really that. And um, so you're facing that again. Am I? Well, I, I mean, mean, I'm that's facing why it the you, same way everybody else is. No, but you were facing it. Oh, the first time you got elected. No, wait, the last time you quit was, was before the Obama McCain. Oh, uh, OK. So, yeah. Race. Right. So this is different. Yeah. Similar, but somewhat so. Yeah. 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 So, um, so and also and also when I did when I did leave in 2007, um, I feel like my relationship to the work changed. Like, I think that having wanted have wanting to be a. A comedy writer all my life and then finally being that and mm-hmm. being it at a show that had all of this um, acclaim and the Emmys and, you know, I think that. I wrapped a lot of my identity up in the show that first ah, time around. Yeah. Um, and I feel like uh, when I came back in 2000, in 2009, um, I, I viewed it more as work. Oh, you were able to separate you, your ego, your, your self image from the job. Right. And that comes and goes. Like sometimes I forget that I'm not that I'm not just that I, but right. Um, it's, uh, it's something that, Definitely, I learned over that break. And I think any writer in your position struggles with that, no? Yeah, I think so. I mean, how can you not? I just want to remind people that they're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, the greatest station in the Western Hemisphere. I know because I've checked. 
And uh, why don't you, uh, you know, you can have Radio Free Brooklyn with you all the time. Just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and download a app for iPhone or Android or whatever. So it's Dr. Lisa. I'm here with Eric Drysdale, a long time uh, late night talk show writer. Uh, anyway, we're talking about his career transition, I guess, or whatever we're talking about. So, okay. So now what, now what, now what's, what's life like now? Like what kinds of things have come up for you and what are you thinking about for your future and stuff like that? Like, how is it? Um, so I can't say that I've been trying really hard yet. Uh, how get, long has it been? It's been a, 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 it's been almost exactly a year. Oh, mm. um, and uh, yeah, I have had a couple of, of small jobs. Um, the best one, um, I think, that, uh, I just I did a pilot with Asif Manvi, also from The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a travel show. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it went at uh, at Apple TV, which was really great. Um, but uh, other than that, there has just little little bits here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am working on some writing, but uh, I I'm feeling a lot of pressure about it. Like it's not easy to do. Like, right. What like, kind of things? Like some like like sitcom writing or feature writing stuff that I have absolutely no experience and I'm not known for. So mm-hmm. it's daunting. Some, is that something that you would like to like? It, 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 if you had a wish list, would that be it? No, because I, I just, I know that I have done what I can do in the field that I've done. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. And I have a little time. I have a little time and, um, uh, it's been interesting. You have, so what, what's been interesting? Like what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? Uh, I mean, I have written some things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things that I do not enjoy reading or writing so far, but um, I feel like just doing the writing is going to get me to the place where right. eventually I will. So trying to trying to give myself that um, that uh, structure and you got to get this done kind of feeling that I would get at work, but outside of it. Huh. Interesting. Sounds which like is, you- which is hard to do. You're trying to create stability for yourself yeah. from within, yes. which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, and what? With moderate success. Well, so far. you have your eye on it. You're aware of it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's something. So it sounds also like you're focusing on your, uh, you know, your talent and the satisfaction you get from it as a writer right now. Is that what you're, you're, fo- you're focused on developing? You're writing. Is that what I'm hearing? In my career, yes. In your career, as it relates to your career. Yes. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, the first thing that I did when I when I left Sambia was I just played with photography for you know, a few mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. I took photos, I played with my collection, got it, you know, mm-hmm. did some writing about it. Um things that have things that involve using my hands and yeah. Uh, not my brain so much. Right, a different, yeah, different muscles. Yeah. So you took a break. I did take a, a break. And then, did you miss writing eventually? No, I still don't. <laughs> Which is a- so 
you know, writing is writing a job or is writing a a vocation a vocation? What what is it to you? Do you think? I think for me, it's a job. I I don't. I feel like every writer who calls themselves a writer must feel this, but it seems like everybody else is better at in far in terms of like just sitting down and writing stuff. You really think so? I mean, any writer would tell tell you that that it's torture. Yes. You know? Yes. yes. So I'm I'm experiencing that. It's torturous. Oh. Do you do you see yourself as a lazy person? No. Okay. No, I definitely don't. I just uh get enthusiastic about things that uh and I uh, about things that will not pay my bills. Huh. And what about pursuing those things? I got to pay my bills. You got to pay your bills. You have to have a job. You really yeah. need a job. Yeah, and I also need this yeah, I need all and of the stability that the job affords. And the structure and all the, And the money is part of that. Yeah, you know, like, of course. And the health insurance and all that. Yeah. See, that's why I'm saying he's a really good example, guys. Have, get a stable job, get health care. I'd say this to all the kids. Well, Don't just fucking think you're going to be an artist of some <laughs> bullshit source. Sort. Get a job. Get stability. Learn how to make a living before you do everything else. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's really what happened when I moved to the city is, um, mm-hmm. you know, I moved to the city in 1993, um, moved in with a couple of friends from college, uh, smoked pot all the time. Mm. Eventually, I got evicted from my apartment because I wow. was using like the money that people were giving me for the rent to buy more pot. Wow. Um, uh, yeah. And um, it took like four years for me to just like learn how to live like an adult and like get a job. I worked at Kaplan test prep for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked at a couple of uh, graphic design firms after that, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, I had to learn how to become, be an adult before I could. So would you say that you were a pot addict? Did you go to any like pot? No. Pot things? No. I mean, I would, was it Am the- I a pot addict? I don't know. I've been a habitual smoker since I was 14 or 15 years old. No, no, we're not. I mean, pot addict in the sense of like the pot getting in the way of oh, your life. Oh, definitely at that time. I'm not talking about. Definitely at that time, yes. So, but was, so you, you had to learn how to like organize your life. Yeah. But it wasn't really just that like you had to be high all the time. I preferred to be. <laughs> Are you, do you get stone at work? I mean, can at you work, do, no, can no, you no. work when, see, so that's what we're, that's not a work. Yeah. So you can't like do your job when you're stoned or you wouldn't do your job when you're stoned. I wouldn't. Yeah. So, okay. So see more adult there. You're a little more adult than you think. <laughs> I think. Okay. Um, did your parents th- see you as an adult or, I mean, see you as a responsible kid? Let's put it that way. No. What did they see you as? Well, I mean, because I was always kind of a, a screw up, like even like in school, like I had discipline problems, probably like ADHD before they had a name for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, I was a total spaz. Are you allowed to say spaz? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Okay. You know, somebody gave, once gave some and you know the show, but some I'm not going to mention names, but you know who it is, gave somebody a blowjob on the station. So whenever so you can do whatever you want okay. here. Uh, um, you, so you, were you like, uh, not a good student? Did you get bad grades? I got bad grades. People didn't think you were smart. I just wasn't interested. 
and you didn't feel any fear of authority or failure? You didn't care? I didn't feel great about it, but I just had my mind on other things. Like I was into like listening to music and comedy and it just, just wasn't at the top of my priorities. So if you were interested. And like mm-hmm. being being bad at like math and not caring about it, like math class and mm-hmm. it didn't uh, like it made me feel bad while I was in math class, but I did not give a shit once mm-hmm. I left. And how did your family treat you in that way? Were they like, you know, Eric, you're great no matter what? Or were they like, when are you going to get improve your grades? There was there were there were meetings. It was not it. it they, I think that deep down they understood that I was not going to be, you know, a failure. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I was not going to go and be a lawyer or a doctor oh. or something like that. Which I don't think they ever had any expectation mm-hmm. like that. They're they have no. Uh, mm-hmm. They were both, uh, but uh, I still think that they they were concerned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm wondering if some of that's still like that vision of yourself is still a little bit in there. The vision of myself as somebody who doesn't have their shit together, basically. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. But the world <laughs> has proven you wrong about that. Well, the world has provided conditions where I can fake it. Ah, interesting. Hmm. Okay, so or, guys. Where I, or, or conditions where I can uh, overcome my limitations. Right, which you you have developed coping skills. Yes. So what do you think, where's the, where's the growth now? Like, what do you think is going on? Like, where, how, how is, how is your perspective on life changing through having this whole all this time off in a kind of an open future and stuff like that like what what can we learn i actually don't have a lot of answers yet Uh i'm still i'm uh i know that i'm at a crossroads um to some degree and i know that i don't want to go backwards but i'm not sure what forward looks like Mm -hmm. yet Mm mm-hmm have you had success in any way or any kind of – and when I say success, a lot of times what I really mean is just achieve something that gives you personal satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had any of those in particular in the you know the time that you've been – Yes, and yeah. And like where, where would those be? I mean that was like working on an Asif show. Um, that was really rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um Got to go to South Africa for that. Which wow. Is, which, uh, and, and you know, and I, I even said, like, because I, I sort of got used to this idea that I'm not a good person to have in the field, you know, uh-huh. on a field shoot. Right. Um, and I sort of got that into my head. But, you know, it was part of the job. So I went and I did it and it was fine. And so. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, I found a new thing that I could probably do. That you enjoyed? That I might enjoy eventually. Uh huh. Oh, that's good. You got out of your comfort zone. I that's did. that's a big deal, I think. I right? Think so. Going yeah. to shoot on South Africa. How long yeah. are you there? Uh not long enough, like five days maybe. But six. yeah, it's a lot of pressure and a lot of dealing with people and un- mm-hmm. yeah, that's a big deal. Good for you. Yeah. And uh, and anything else? Did that project come to you or did it you It came to me, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, anything else like that that you particular? I'm sorry. What was the question again? That made me feel 
Okay, so um, we were talking about f- things that have, that you have gotten satisfaction out of, or you um, know, that I mean, that there, you've had there's some the, growth. there's like the side hustle of the 3D shows mm-hmm. where I I share my collection of uh, 3D slides with people in these salons mm-hmm. that you're talking about earlier, um, mm-hmm. and that's fine. It's really nice, and I really do get a lot out of it. But again, I I it's um it's hard not to let it suck up so much time that and energy that um because I, I am not going to be able to make a living at it. You're not that you're not gonna be that guy. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna be that guy. I mean, yes. I mean I bet you somebody with the right mix of of uh-huh. of things could make a living doing that. Uh-huh. But I don't want to spend my time doing the things mm-hmm. that I would have to do to make mm-hmm. a living at that. Have you pursued any career options like i'm wondering this is what i'm thinking about i'm thinking about this is what i'm wondering about anyway um so i'm picturing you figuring out projects for yourself that are career oriented like you know those writing projects and then you got offered a few little well that's a big job some jobs and stuff like that but like i'm wondering if you're like thinking about pursuing like a career option that isn't coming to you or that you haven't really thought about a new idea something different oh i would love that i just hasn't come to me yet yeah hasn't you are yeah. you uh, is that what you're looking for though no i'm not necessarily looking for that but or i'm open to that it you're yeah i'm open to it i feel like it's as likely to happen that way as to go back and uh, and, and it, yeah and is that what you're giving yourself time for now yeah to do that yeah so what have you gotten out of your writing uh projects um not a lot yet um i I mean a lot of it's funny because i have a lot of fear about it i have a lot of fear about writing and and you know you gave this like long thing about my my uh, bona fides and i go into an office with that and you know there are expectations for a script coming from a guy with that resume and uh it's a lot of pressure Uh uh uh-huh Yeah, because in a certain way you're a be- beginner, right? If in a certain you way, haven't I'm a done done it professionally, but then they also think, well, if he does, yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's so it's harder because you're successful in a way. It, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna be poor me. I'm a successful, but no, emotionally, uh, we don't care about that. It's just yes, it is. It's it's a lot of self doubt. Uh huh. Am I am I as good as? I am at this other thing as I am at the other thing. Or can you get as good? Or can good? I, get, I as get as good? good? And Bru- can I get as good in enough time, you know, be- to not be poor? Right, right, right. So um, have you sent your work to anybody or showed it to any? Have I've you gotten shown, feedback? I have gotten some feedback. Uh-huh. And how's that gone? Um, Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, nothing. I, I'm pretty. I, what? It's bad in that I'm not as far along as I would like to be, but it's good in that I it confirmed that uh, I'm where I thought I was. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Where, where, where is that? Oh, you mean like, I'm learning? I'm learning. learning. I'm learning. I'm, so you're having growth. Yes. In your writing, I think so. Slow, but yes. Oh well, that's cool. Yes. There you go. So you think maybe t- you think maybe like. Um, a movie or a scripted show then? Yeah. Hmm. I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. And do you know people in those fields? Sure. Sure. So when yeah, you're and I've ready. Yeah, I've gotten good advice and 
yeah, and had long conversations and people have read things and I'm heading in the right direction. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, again, no structure, mm-hmm. no, there's no hard deadline on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of time to second guess myself, mm-hmm. things like that. It's just a lot of time alone. Yeah. And also, yeah, missing that room full of the funniest people in the world. Which, right. You know, right, right. It's right. really nice to have. Right. That's going to be hard. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing is that's interesting is like when you work on a show where, you know, like a, you know, brand name, it's somebody's show and it's you, you can be pretty invisible. Yes. Which and, I like. And you like that. But in order to get to the next level, it's not as much as being invisible that I like. It's about being somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's because what does I'll, that mean? Because mm-hmm. I have a better idea of. I have a better. Uh, yeah. You mean you have a better idea of, of of what Stephen Colbert's voice sounds like than what mine would sound like? Just right. because I didn't take the time and be a stand-up for eight years and figure out what my voice was. Mm-hmm. You know, I am a I am a hired hand. I'm somebody mm-hmm. who will. Write jokes in your voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you really, so this is kind of what maybe you're developing is your own voice? Yeah. Which is, you know, it's a little late. <laughs> Do you really feel like that? No, no, not really. I mean, I, and it's always been there, you know. Mm-hmm. hmm I was always doing my own thing on the side, you know. Like? Writing and writing and performing. making making short films and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, it sounds it sounds pretty good. And what about the uh, stability thing? Like, do you have a certain amount of time that you write, or is that still like what? Do, how's how's your days go? I do try. I I actually got a uh, subscription to a workspace, and uh, I do try to oh. go in three times a week and write for a few hours straight, no matter what. Oh, oh, that's um, good. Which is torturous, but I do it. <laughs> Why is writing always torturous? I feel like it might be, yes. Because? Again, I it's been a long time since I've been doing it outside of these very pressurized and standardized and structured ways of doing it. Um, but yeah, just sitting there and writing is no fun. Writing alone, I, mean, I guess. Or I haven't stumbled upon that 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 idea or thing that makes the gears click and, mm. and propels me mm. to keep going and make, and make it better and better and better. I'm still sort of like flailing around finding different things. And they're, they're like definitely big chunks of stuff that I've written that I, that I feel like, Oh, that's, that's good. I've learned something here about how to structure a scene or how to structure a story. Um, uh, but, uh, it, I, everything has yet to come together. Mm-hmm. And where are you getting your inspiration? Are you going to see a lot of stuff? Is there a kind of thing that you like or, or what kind of stuff do you write about? I started, I started just writing, writing scenes between people that I imagined, like mm-hmm. without like ideas about what the whole thing was about, just because I have very little experience doing that. And I felt like uh, it would be a good way to, kind of uh dip myself in to f- fiction writing kind of like almost like improv scenes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so uh i did i started with that mm-hmm. 
human humans just human interaction which really joke writing isn't i mean it's about power structures and it's about status and in some ways but it, a, a conversation between two more two people is much much more complicated uh-huh what how do you see that especially like? between two people who are you know in a in a scene driving a story like Everything that they have to say to each other has to be revealing of their character and move the story forward. And um, it's something that people people who do it professionally do uh, with a lot of transparency and you don't see the strings. And, right. um, you know, it's it's a different it's a different muscle. And wow. yeah, I've, I've been working on my lats. I got to start working on my quads. I don't know what those things are. <laughs> I just talked as if I knew what the human body was, and I have no idea. Are the uh, lats and quads related? So did you feel like that was stuff that you kind of left left out when you were working on the talk shows, on the night, night whatever? What do you mean? Late night. Like, in other words, like when you're working on um, a late night show, you're mm -hmm. writing jokes and stuff like that, but you're not writing scenes as much. And did you ever feel... <sighs> Were you I mean, feeling like that was the, something? I mean, you there were... there is a sense to which even even John Stewart was a character. Mm -hmm. Colbert on the Colbert Report was definitely a character, mm -hmm. and there were scenes, mm -hmm. but um, not in the same way that you have to write a scene to actually move a story along. Mm -hmm. Where where it's coming from, you right? Yeah, is some of that hard to like? Like, yeah, I mean, one thing I I, I definitely have. I've I've kind of dipped my toe in this a bunch of times over the last, you know, since I started doing this. And it's one of the things I realized is that I don't like bad things to happen to my characters, <laughs> which is completely the whole point of drama is that bad things happen to your characters. But it's like, I like this guy. I don't want anything to happen to him. <laughs> You're protective of your yeah, characters. Yeah, so that's no fun. That's no fun to watch. Wow. So uh, what else have you have you gotten to travel or where do you where are you getting your inspiration? Are you going to see more? Are you exposing yourself to more more stuff? Well, I always I'm I'm at museums all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I've been playing competitive pinball, which has been really interesting. That's crazy. Really? Yeah. How, what is that? I don't even I have. I didn't know. It's that exactly what it sounds like. And is there like teams or there's like there's so much there's like teams. There are leagues. There are like teams for there, there are leagues for individual players. There are leagues for teams. There are leagues for women. Wow! Yeah. and you guys compete. Yeah. Wow. How? What is that like? A weekly? I do it weekly. Yeah. Are you really? You must be good at it. I'm getting better. I'm. Yeah. I'm usually like usually like a, a somewhere in the middle. Like I've been doing it for four like four months or so. Uh huh. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. So there's a group of people that you're involved with. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> there's structure there. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Wow. How do you, like, you can get, like, that is such a weird thing. Did you, you play can, that? As absolutely. Uh, well, it's something that was always part of my life. Uh, uh, I just, I always loved it when I was a kid. Um, the place where my dad worked had had a machine and I was there all the time playing it uh, and um, then and like kind of at the height of my interest in that machine I went to Sid and Marty Croft World um, uh, which was a uh, Atlanta theme park that was only there for six months and they had a they had a ride where you could ride in a pinball machine 
what? Yeah. And were the was were the pinballs like they weren't the, free floating? They were like on a track, but but the, were they human size or yeah? Like yeah, you they, get into a pinball and oh then like my, you like fly you are the, the pinball. You're in the pinball. Wow. So and that made a big impression. But then in high school, I was a player, and then in college, I always found the machines. I always found it easier than. I always found it more rewarding than a video game just because I could last longer playing mm-hmm. it. And I found like the rule sets and all of the skill stuff uh, interesting. And so I had a little time and I figured, you know, this is something I've always been interested in. Let's see if I can get any better at it if I play competitively. And I think I have gotten a little better. <laughs> there, that and it's been, more goal or And it's been interesting to be around people who do it competitively because it's like really, there's a lot to it. And do they, they really focus on, I mean, strategy and yep. practice and yep. thumbnail size. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's interesting. That's an interesting uh, part of humanity. <laughs> yes. You know what I always missed? I was thinking about, you know, when you start talking about being around people, what something I miss about relationships in offices, which you can't, which is really hard to have anywhere else, is that... Uh, just being around people and sort of joking around or just being being around people where you're all paid to be there and it's all a job to be there and there's no like like sometimes like I feel like uh oh I I want to make plans with that person I got to get in touch with them that probably won't and then when I get together with them I hope they're having a good time I hope I'm not boring them and and what are we going to do? You can have these lower pressure relationships with people. Yeah. Yeah. Incidental or circumstantial relationships. Yeah. And you, right? Yeah. So there's something nice about that. There's something really comforting about or just easy. Like, do, do you have to find more ways to see people? Are you putting more yeah, energy in Yeah, I have to make effort. That? I have to make effort. And to, how how is that? It's nice. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. I mean, yeah. Try to have lunch with somebody every couple of days, you know. That's great. And do you keep so you must know so many people from work. Do you still yeah, you go still, do you get invited? You still go to the you, you still go to the parties or they still invite no. you to stuff or what's your feeling about it? Just uh, time we, to move there's on. Not, you don't really get invited in that way to a party. It's shows, really yeah, a work yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay, we've got five minutes left, and let's see if there's something. we. You said that your dog is a real pain in the ass, so let's. <laughs> I just want to hear about that. Let's fit oh, that in she's, there. She's just a, she's a rescue. She's about a year and a half old. Uh, she's just very super reactive on the street. Like, she's just super vigilant and uh, barks at anything that moves. Um, she hasn't done anything terrible yet, but the vet basically told us if we don't, Deal with these issues soon. She will bite somebody or bite a kid. She's like super reactive towards kids. Um, but between some, uh, we have her on uh, meds and uh, have done some training with her and have seen a bit of an improvement. You have her on meds? Yeah. Antidepressants? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What, what, how does, has it made a change? Can you tell? Very much so, yeah. In what way? Less anxious? Yeah. Wow, just like with people. Just like with people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it just kind of got her to a place, it got to a kind of a quieter mindset where the stuff we were doing with the trainer could actually 
sink in. Mm, interesting. Is that a lifelong thing that dogs are going to be on? Is she going to be on that forever? I don't know. Have you talked? So she's kind of like in therapy. She really is. Yeah, she really is. She's got some issues and she's dealing with them and she's in therapy and kind of doing some. I would. I mean, it's I guess it's kind of related to CBT, uh, cognitive cognitive yeah behavioral therapy where she's kind of doing these exercises where she's trying to control her impulses and things like that oh really yeah wow wow well she's not doing them alone we're doing them with her right she's not motivated yeah she doesn't get it (laughs) yeah we can't we can't hand her a book and no and it's all about tell her to do a workbook (laughs) it's all about getting along with humans isn't it yes it's about her socializing and with dogs conforming really is she really aggressive with dogs um she can be and has been, but that's also getting a little better. Is she annoying? She is right now. And what what's that like? Like, is she always demanding? Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. So you, you want to chill her out? You want to chill her out? Have you bought her beer? There's dog beer? No. Oh. <laughs> Just regular Why human beer. beer. Yeah. My husband feeds our dog beer. To mellow her out? No, just like if we go, we, yeah, well, we take her to a bar. And- I don't drink, so. Oh, well. There's there's beer. very rarely alcohol in the house. Oh, uh, well, you know, maybe that maybe that's what it is. Did we have to get our dog drunk? <laughs> <laughs> maybe she needs a cocktail hour. So you got her as a puppy? Yep. And she was already damaged? She was beautiful. She was wonderful the first several months, but kind of backslid. And do they think that's from her childhood? They do. Well, how how old was she? I mean, how could that be? That's crazy. Yeah, it doesn't seem. I mean, we she was only sixteen weeks old when we got her. Yeah, but also we didn't do anything to her since then that would make her like that. So, uh, I think it sounds. I'm just going to tell you my opinion. That sounds a little like a racket. Really? <laughs> what the bit. the therapy part? Yeah, I don't except know. for the fact that it's actually worked. All right. Well, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think they're putting parental guilt on you. Six, you got the dog after sixteen weeks, and you think that the problems are from its childhood. I'm not sure if I buy that. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not sure if I buy that. Yeah, I buy it. Really? Yeah, I do. Why? I don't get it. Was she crazy when you got her? She was crazy in some ways. You can um, see it. But the aggressiveness came a little later. Yeah. When she felt comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, Eric, thank you. You know, we're going to have to have you on again in Uh like in another six, eight months. I feel like I've bared my soul and said it all. Oh, well, you know, when we, when you have, you know, done another, you know, six months, a year of writing, and then we can check in and be inspired by your, you know, we'll be hearing about your, you know, movie that's about to come out or God knows Sounds good. what. Yeah. So stick around and thank you, Lisa. Thank you. And stick around. And we've got great programming this afternoon. Lost and rewound with Elon Danziger right after this. So.